Reeling from all the terrible news, but not sure how to take action? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do? Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they do differently next time. In the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am Kelly Pollock. This is What Can I Do, the podcast where we help you figure out how to take action. I am here with my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. Hi, Lila. How are you feeling, Kelly? (laughs) I am feeling like the world is on fire (laughs) and I am breathing in the wildfires from Canada while I am collapsing on the sidewalk in heat. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm also hot. I'm thrilled to be out of the line of the wildfires for once in my life. Um, And I'm very excited to introduce our guest for today. Today we have Hathi Pacheco, who's a community builder at Act for SA. Welcome, Hathi. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at Act for SA and some of the other work that you're doing? Okay, great. Uh, Thanks for having me, first off. Um, What I do at Act for SA is community builders. You know, what the name says is to try and gather community members, um, especially directed directly affected folks in the criminal legal system, Um, but also the whole community because, you know, it really affects all of us, even if we're not directly affected. Um, So my organization, Act for SA, stands for Accountability, Compassion, and Transparency for San Antonio. So that's what we push for uh, in the public safety sphere in the city. Awesome. And can you answer our traditional first question that we ask everyone, which is, what is your background when it comes to political action? Did you grow up in an activist household? When did you start doing this kind of work? So I didn't grow up in an activist household. Um, I My mom had participated in the, I think, a boycott led by um, Cesar Chavez when she was younger. And, and we were always like a liberal family. But no, I didn't have any background like that. I, when I went to college at the University of the Incarnate Word, uh, it was very uh, prominently instilled in us to have civic responsibility and have, we had a civic duty and stuff like that. Uh, You required 45 hours of community service to graduate. And I had actually um, been a work study in the office. uh, It's called the Edling Center for Civic Leadership. And that's where I really found my passion for the community work. So when you realized that this was a a passion that you had, what did you do next? Like, what's your next step in figuring out like, okay, what what the heck do I actually do with that? That's a really good question because unfortunately the answer is nothing. Um, I was dealing with depression just as I graduate. I was unrealized to me dealing with undiagnosed ADHD uh, and a lot of low self-confidence from, you know, being a fat woman. That's my reality. Um, And it was a lot of self-doubt. I had joined uh, online uh, the Texas Organizing Project, we call TOP. um, And I had just been like an online lurker for a couple of years. You know, then uh, in like 2018, Beth O'Rourke came around and, you know, he, he got a lot of people excited, including me. Um, and that was the first campaign I did some work on, but it was only a little bit, to be honest. 
um, I joined as a canvasser and I learned, honestly, I learned what not to do, especially for people with anxiety and low self-confidence. Um, they wanted to throw you to the wolves and they're like, we don't have time, just go by yourself. And I went to like two maybe uh, um, shifts and I was just like, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm probably doing it wrong. Um, so that was it for me. I did support him, you know, online, share stuff like that, donate. Um, then Bernie came around 2020. Uh, and again, I was excited again. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it this time. I'm really gonna do it this time. So I signed up for a couple of shifts. Uh, and eventually, um, uh, I had people that would go with me and be like, Hey, but I advocated for myself to be honest. I'd be like, Hey, can you come with me the first time to make sure that I got this, that I'm doing this right. And, you know, it was a little shaky to be honest, a little uh, awkward. I didn't know a lot. I know the things I cared about, which was healthcare. Uh, I, I, at the time I was uninsured, diabetic and asthmatic. Um, some of my meds were over $300 and I had a minimum wage job. Um, so that was, I was passionate about that, but they, I think they were a little bit better than, well, more than a little than the Beto campaign to really train people. And eventually um, there a spot opened up with the Bernie Victory Captains and I joined that. Um, and they really prepared you. Like this is, this is how you run a, a phone bank. This is how you run a, a text bank or whatever. So I started doing that. I had a coach. Um, and that gave me a little bit more confidence. Uh, unfortunately, that was right about 2020, um, right about the pandemic. You know, um, I had, think I had hosted two events when it was like really starting to get serious. Uh, and again, I am uh, I have multiple comorbidities that make it even more dangerous. And I know if we forget how little we knew at the beginning, how scary it was you know there were people talking about oh the the virus stays in the air for like 18 hours you could just walk through and like I was literally afraid to leave my house and like I live with my my parents my sister um all have asthma and other issues and I'm just like like literally we didn't want to leave the house um but you know as time went the world's on fire the world's stopping all that um, in 2021, you know, we learned a little bit more. We learned how to protect ourselves a little bit better. Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with Our Revolution um, by Bernie Sanders, Our Revolution. Uh, we had previously had a chapter here in San Antonio and it kind of uh, dissolved. They were restarting it. And so I went to the first meeting um, and I had also, it just happened to be seen on top um, that they're organizing a statewide healthcare for all rally, Medicare for all. Um, and at the first meeting of our revolution, the organizer was there and I was like, Hey, you know, I want to be involved. La, la, la. I want to help because I'm so passionate about Medicare for all. Um, fortunately, uh, our revolution did not get off the ground, but I did jump into the, um, uh, the statewide rally organizing, um, it was much easier for someone with anxiety and even low self-confidence because it was mostly Zoom meetings. Um, so I would suggest for someone who has issues, like start something online, see if you can do like text banking, whatever. 
but anyways, so um, I do that. And the organizer ended up being my mentor. Uh, now she is my mentor. Her name is Sofia Sepulveda. She's a, a, an amazing trans activist. She's been doing healthcare and now she is working in the uh, LGBTQ activism. Anyways, so at the end of the rally, she didn't realize I was a top member. She thought I was just coming in from the, our revolution. She had convinced me to speak. And as someone with ADHD, I'm sure others out there will know, uh, I procrastinated a lot. And I wrote my, my speech the night before, like at 2 a.m. And I barely had time to practice it. And it went horribly. Absolutely. Like I forgot what I was saying. I lost my place. I had to hold my phone. And at the end of it, things were still okay. You know, I still got involved. There was even someone who came up to me and they were like, I'm, thank you for sharing your story. I really feel that. And Sophia was like, you'll do better. You'll, you know, this, you, it'll start getting really comfortable with it. And she's like, hey, have you heard of uh, the Texas Organizing Project? I was like, yeah, I'm a member. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you're mine now. <laughs> so I joined the healthcare um, justice campaign with the Texas Org Organizing Project. And that's that's really where it started to take off. Um, and then I we had a campaign here called Fix SAPD, which was a proposed charter amendment to um, try and combat the power the police unions have in San Antonio when they bargain for their police contracts. Um, so I did some petitioning with them. Um, unfortunately it didn't pass and but what did was born from it is one of the staff members created uh, act for SA and then I did some volunteering with them I testified at the city council um, against increasing the police budget and um, eventually I saw the opening for uh, the position I was in and actually believe it or not I was really unsure about it because I didn't know if I was directly affected enough. I'm like, should I get this position? And I had a friend who has said like, you know, you told me about your father being shoved to the ground because he was talking back to a police officer and being locked up for like 16 hours as diabetic. Maybe that's not that bad compared to other stuff, but like they were saying you, you have been affected by the system. And then I found out there weren't really any women that were applying to the position. So I was like, you know what, screw it, I'm gonna apply. And literally the day before, the last day I applied. And thankfully the, the best thing about it was the hiring process was very accessible. The first round was a video submission. The second was after that, they, they gave you a review of it and they supplied us with the questions they were going to ask us in the next interview, told us how much it would be, what was expected of us. And I, when I made it to the final round, it, it said, um, you have to submit these things ahead of time, the samples, like running samples, things like that. And also you'll be expected to manage your time and basically lead the meeting. So it was very, I, I feel like I was able to flourish because of that. And to be honest, like almost my whole team has ADHD and it's like so refreshing being able to work with people who like get it, you know what I mean? I am very eager to move on to talking about your work with Act for Essay, but I do want to 
just before you move on, you, I, I relate to so much of what you're saying, especially sort of talking about having to carve out accommodations for yourself in various political spheres or activist spheres. You know, I, I am, you know, I'm a 9-11 survivor. I have chronic illness. The, the pandemic was, you know, incredibly dangerous for me as well. I have ADHD. I have, I relate to a lot of what you're talking about. So I wanted to um, ask a little bit about uh, just before we move on, if you can think of, you know, and you mentioned a couple of these times that you have been able to ask for specific accommodations that made your uh, participation in advocacy work possible. You know, you talked a little bit about, you know, this, the, the accessible hiring process, about kind of the trial and error of having to speak in public and things like that. But I just wondered before, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that briefly before we move on. To be honest, um, like I said early on, it was like undiagnosed. It was actually the downtime we had in 2020, I was stuck on TikTok and there were so many people talking about their ADHD symptoms. And I was like, why do I relate to that so much? And I was so, I was pushing against it because I could study for like, especially like the, like around midterms, finals, I could study for 10, 12 hours straight or so I thought, but it was like, I need like five alarms. I need to get up and walk around. Um, so I was like, wait a minute. And holy shit. And then I still had like family members are like, you do not. You're just trying to get attention. And I'm like, no. So really, it was like after 2020. And like, I was like, no, I have this. And talking to people and realizing my lack of access to affordable health care meant that I did. I had a barrier to a diagnosis. But I knew my body. And accepting that made it easier for me to be like, can you give me the questions ahead of time? I need that in writing. Um, like for example, actually, um, I realized how much of a visual learner I am in my orientation because we all, we had, um, what do you call them? Uh, slideshows for, for all of it. And it was mostly in person, but a couple of days we had to do it over Zoom. And I guess the thing wasn't updating and there was a slideshow, but we weren't seeing it and we didn't know that there was. And I was having so much trouble concentrating and I was having to ask like 10, 12 questions. And I was like, what is going on with me today? Why am I having so much trouble? And then we realized that the, the PowerPoint wasn't on. And as soon as it went back up, I was like, oh, I just needed, I needed the visual. And I was like, wow, I really need to not only ask for myself, but realize that um, I, can, I need to advocate for other people who maybe aren't at my part. I'm at, at my stage. You know what I mean? So I love your title of community builder, and I want to dig into a little bit about what, what that means and, and the ways that you go about building community you know, is that uh, online? Is it in person? You know, how, how are you finding people, bringing them together? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Actually, when the post for the position went up, it was community organizer. And then it was my director at the time had advocated for changing it to community builder. And at first I was like, why? I don't get it. But then I like community builder better because we're part of the community. We're not like directing the community. The community should be directing us. My job is to see what the community needs and see who's ready to start speaking up and help them use their voice. 
I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, there's an advocacy piece to the work of like essentially policing the police or keep, you know, mm-hmm. keeping an, keeping an eye on the relationship between the community and the police. And then I'm sure that there are some ways in which people can, you know, once they've been organized, take action within their communities that don't require necessarily like specific policy change, but just require, you know, a lot of a lot of living in society is just all of us agreeing to act certain ways. So like, what are the, you know, what are the, the kinds of things that communities, once they have come together can work on that don't require necessarily specific policy change, but just require sort of like someone to lead a charge of some sort. I think um, that's where the real work is, is uh, it's a a policy should should follow what community is wanting. And so once someone is activated, once someone is learns the intricacies of the systems, um, like for example, I just went uh, I just went to a presentation on the power and pervasiveness of police unions. Like our community doesn't know this. And for us to teach them and then to teach others like how powerful they are. And just to be having these conversations of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, what we we have become comfortable with in a way, because we just don't understand how much goes on behind the curtain. You know what I mean? Um, so I think I think the role that community members can have is to speak up with their fellow community members because we know that the people they're they're really going to listen to is not someone coming into their community like hey nice to meet you but their neighbor and their friend and their sister and their brother you know so i want to ask some about the language that act for essay uses cuz uh, of course the you know there's this popular thing that people throw around defund defund and and that is nowhere on the act for essay website you know that that is not uh, the the way that that this is being tackled so can you talk a little bit about the the goals of the organization and the way that you talk about those goals and and how that matters when you're talking to communities and and trying to get more people engaged in the issue well first of all we started as a reformist org um, and we are still in that work um, pushing for change within the system so Yes, that's what we want, but also we have no choice because in Texas, our governor has tied state funding to the police budget. So if we reduce the police budget, we lose state funding as a city. Um, (laughs) So um, the other thing is we're military city USA, a lot of military end up going into the police. So there is a lot of correlation of support for the police. but we are moving to more of an abolitionist um, work. We do want to move that way um, because we know that this system is rooted in racism and white, white supremacy. And we can push for reform to help people immediately. But if we really want to solve these issues, we've got to find a better way. And we have to be courageous as community members just because we've never heard of it, just because someone hasn't thought about it, what the what the answer is yet, doesn't mean we shouldn't push to have a new, a whole new system. 
And number one, uh, the thing is that we need to move away from punitive punishment towards restorative justice. And that includes not only getting directly affected folks from police violence, um, but also offenders, you know, people have who are addicted to drugs, people, even even murderers, you know, we need to, as a whole community, I, I don't even want to say murderers, people who have committed murder, because they're still people, we have to come together as a community as a whole and figure out a better system. So that's, that's my work. That's the community's work. I think in the last few years, a lot of, you know, we've learned a lot about the difference between public safety and policing. I think, you know, for a long time, we kind of thought they were synonymous and they're not. Um, so can you talk a little bit about sort of what public safety means to you or to, you know, to act for SA and what the difference between that and our and, and policing is? Yeah, like public safety encompasses so much. And number one, it's services. It's uh, providing housing for those experiencing houselessness, providing services who, who are, those are suffering from addiction, um, providing streetlights, providing safe um, safe bus stops, well lit, providing a very our bus system is not so great, um, providing an efficient, affordable transportation system. That's public safety. And, you know, I think also it's the community, building community bonds, you know, bringing people in instead of throwing them away. And I don't exactly know what that looks like, but, you know, we're, we're trying to figure it out. What are some of the ways uh, that you and the organization uh, reach out to the community? Uh, and, you know, I, I, does this mean things like getting in the news? Does it, you know, does it mean hosting events? Like, what are some of the, the actual uh, steps that you've taken? Yeah, so like recently we just did, the, uh, we tried to do a, another charter amendment. Um, there was a lot of slack from misinformation from the police unions, but we would go out to community events. You know, it could be like fiesta events. We've done banner drops. We've done festivals, even going to the bus stop and just talking to people. And we have a local partner, uh, Free Texas. They have, uh, they work with formerly incarcerated folks and um, teach them, you know, different things and just engaging in dialogue, you know, yeah. And I'm wondering also if in talking about that, you could talk a little bit about some of the ways that you have noticed that are effective at changing a community's relationship with the police and whether those are lessons that could apply to other cities as well. I'm sure that this is ongoing work. And also this is really a stopgap, of course, you know, as you were talking about on the way to kind of re-envisioning what policing looks like. But in the meantime, like what could communities be looking for and asking for of their police to kind of change the dynamic between irresponsible policing and a community and, you know, kind of improving their relationships? I think the number one most effective thing is deep conversation, regular conversation, but also, and like we haven't employed this yet, but bringing community members together with directly affected folks, with the formerly incarcerated and let them 
you know, show their side, show their perspective. We're actually having a, um, a large community education event coming up in August um, where we're going to teach people. There's a new managed assigned council, which will be a more effective uh, assignment of attorneys for people who cannot afford uh, representation. Um, and uh, actually, the CEO of Freed, Light Walker, had asked me if she could have some of her scholars um, the um, talk at the at the event. And I was like, absolutely, you know, I need to, we need to hear their perspective. The whole community does about how they get there because people don't understand that it could easily be, be you. It could easily be your son or daughter or, or child, you know? Um, and I think we need, that's the number one thing that needs to happen is hearing other people's perspective, seeing their face and, and, and understand that these aren't, boogeymen under your bed they're they're human they're community members they're your neighbors you know and often your family so i want to ask and only if you're comfortable talking about this uh, but you're openly queer and mm -hmm. you know I, I i know that the um environment in texas isn't always uh open and welcoming, at least from the sort of top-down government so uh, could you talk a little bit about uh living your authentic life while trying to do this work that's very visible and and what challenges that might uh, present? Well, locally, luckily, um, San Antonio is a very progressive city. Um, and I haven't felt unsafe, but also I wear blinders, like kind of to protect myself, I guess. Um, I just live my life unapologetically um and I just I don't I don't like like I technically haven't even come out to some family members but like I just say it and it just comes up oh I, you know my girlfriend or whatever or you know theoretically things like that it just I'm just like I'm gonna live my life like you live your life I haven't I haven't come up against anything so I'm, I'm really lucky about that and I, I am concerned with the way things are going for our community, especially here in Texas. Um, and I know there are people that are being affected right now, especially in the trans community. Um, there is some organizations that are trying to organize aid to help families leave because um, young trans folk are in danger of being ripped away from their parents and their families. Um, so me, someone who does feel safe, has a safe home, I, I have a responsibility to live openly. And I'm, I'm not trying to push anyone, you know, you do what's best for you. But I feel like I just have to live as myself. Um, because then, honestly, I've also spent a long time being a people pleaser and trying to be what people expected, especially as a woman. Like, you know, I always felt like I failed as a woman because I wasn't feminine enough you know um but now that i'm accepting myself i'm not going back you know what i mean is there anything that we haven't covered that you wish we had or anything that you kind of want to leave us with when it comes to either your work or just sort of like how the role of advocacy in your life i don't know that we haven't covered it but i would say if i could say to people like me you know who are like i want to do something but like i'm scared don't be afraid to do the little that you can 
And if you feel like you can't advocate for yourself, do what you can. Think about emailing the organizer uh, or texting them or something um, and be like, hey, I'm, I have anxiety or whatever. You know, can I get a one-on-one with you ahead of time or something like that? Like, don't be afraid to do a little, because like, I know sometimes it's easier one-on-one with someone. But also I, I try and do that, like I said, with the accessibility. So when I do canvassing and there's someone new, I'm like, you're coming with me. I don't care what people are saying. I don't care. They say we need to reach a thousand homes or whatever. I'm going to give you a base so that you feel comfortable, safe, and that you feel you can succeed on your own. I don't want you to come and like, be like, okay, I'm, ne- I'm never doing that again. Can you tell people how they can support the work of Act for SA? Um, yes, actually, this is our two-year anniversary this month. Um, so we're having a, a birthday bash. Follow us, and if you if you have the capacity, donations will be great because going forward, we're going to start focusing on education, on restorative justice, on how to navigate the legal system. Our main goal is to empower the community to fight for what they want. We don't want them to just support us, but also just support themselves. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been uh, really great. And I, I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do? You can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Wefflin and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at What Can I Do Pod. To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at whatcanidopodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.